This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. One major league soccer owner is leading a $50 million investment. The blurring of the lines between sports team owners and the sports gambling space. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Evan Novi williams Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Heidi O'Neill is president of direct-to-consumer at Nike. Then the race car driver, Elio Castro. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Evan Novi-Williams. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down with Angela Ruggiero, gold medalist, four-time U.S. ice hockey Olympian, and current CEO and co-founder of the Sports Innovation Lab. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week, beginning with a private equity firm looking to scoop up limited stakes in sports franchises. Evan? Yeah, this is an interesting one. You know, we've talked about skyrocketing franchise valuations and the effect that that has on, you know, the number of people that can afford to buy teams. And now suddenly, you know, this private equity firm, Arcto Sports Partners, raising almost $2 billion, up to $1.75 billion, just to invest in these minority stakes, a long-term event horizon that my guess, Mike Lynch, is going to help out a number of majority shareholders who are maybe a little strapped for cash right now. Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about the cash call with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, the way I look at this is that sometimes when a, when a stock gets too runs away from you, like Apple, you can't afford really to buy enough to make any profit, you, you join a mutual fund. And to me, this is a mutual fund of sports ownership. I think that's exactly right. And yes, cash calls, you know, we're going to see a lot of owners making them. Uh, this is an alternative to doing that. Instead of asking your minority investors for more money, you can maybe, if you own 70% of a team, uh, you can sell maybe 5% uh, to these guys and they'll give you, you know, a nice little cash infusion for it. It wouldn't surprise me if you see somebody say, okay, there's another 5%. If anybody from the public wants to invest in that range. I'm talking about Joe Blow fan mm. making an investment into it. That wouldn't surprise me that uh, people wouldn't do it just to say, hey, I own a piece of the Detroit Lions or whatever. Well, you're kind of getting close to what the what the Green Bay Packers do in some right. ways. I mean, I, right. I think we're we're a long way away from getting kind of truly publicly traded uh, sports companies. But you're right; the Packers have tapped into something that really gives their fans some real, you know, quote unquote equity in 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 the franchise, and you know, it, they're rewarded by some some pretty passionate fans. Up next, some interesting news for New Yorkers with big cable bills and no sports on TV. This is interesting. State Attorney General Letitia James is demanding big cable and satellite TV providers cut or eliminate fees tied to live sports programming during the coronavirus pandemic. Guys, it feels like every week we're talking about, you know, a a bigger crack, maybe a deeper fissure in, in the sports media you know, business model right now. You know, as we've said, the way it works, fans pay their cable bill to their provider. The provider pays money to ESPN. ESPN pays money to leagues. Uh, For now, all that money is kind of flowing directly. But as more attorneys general or as more cable payers say, you know, maybe we shouldn't be paying for live sports when live sports aren't happening. You know, it threatens Mike Lynch to to kind of throw the whole thing, bring the whole house down. 
I look at the auto insurance uh, industry right now and at some of the top companies like Geico uh, are, are refunding 15 to 20 percent of their premiums because there aren't any cars on the road and there aren't any accidents, as many accidents. Uh, yesterday, the Boston Red Sox announced that they will refund money for uh, all tickets purchased through May 31st. And the problem here, though, is how do you get the money back from the networks that that's already been paid up and into the professional leagues? Michael Barr, you're a cable guy, and you're probably paying $30, $40 a month for live sports. You're not watching the live sports right now. I mean, how do you feel when you when you look at your cable bill at the end of April and think, oh, there's a big chunk here that I'm paying that I am not getting anything for? Well, I tell you what, marble raising isn't going to cut it, and I'm going to pay the, <laughs> the extra money for the sports. And, and the I see, title. Yeah, <laughs> I see the point that uh, the AG is making. It's like, look, you charge if you look at your bill, it's and you look at this and included. You know, ESPN is as pay for a fee for that, and and all the other ones in the regional sports networks. Well, we're not playing baseball. And we're not playing hockey. We're not playing uh, any NBA games. So why am I paying for that money? And it's kind of the same way if you have a subscription to uh, a sports journal. It's like, well, wait, we don't. <laughs> there are no sports. So why am I paying this? And some have voluntarily, the sports journals, have decided, okay, we're going to suspend the fee. So I'm wondering if that should be the same thing for cable. The thing that makes this, you know, additionally complicated, one, you know, none of these leagues, the NBA, the NHL, they haven't officially canceled any games yet. So they're not kind of technically in, in violation of their of their agreements with, with these cable, with these with the networks quite yet. And then the second thing is that, you know, all these guys are locked into multi-year relationships, you know, and nobody wants to, to burn a relationship with a league right now in April and May of 2020 when you theoretically have a have an eight-year your contract that that, that it st- extends you through 2028 you know so so everyone has to think about the long term here if we are a month away from live sports if we're eight months away from live sports you know a lot of these contracts are so long that, that we're still just in a, a small portion of the amount of time that they need to work together and nobody i think at, at least not yet wants to burn the bridge permanently and have that sour the rest of the relationship finally it was a big story all week. The Los Angeles Lakers receiving a $4.6 million loan under the government's small business rescue program. After a ton of blowback, they're returning the money, Evan. Yeah, I mean, I, this this looks bad, no question. Um, I'm curious what you guys think, kind of where things broke down. It certainly seems like the, the, the Los Angeles Lakers should not be getting money under this program. They're returning it, which I think is, is the right thing to do. Uh, Mike Lynch, where do you kind of point the blame uh, around this entire endeavor? Well, it's what's wrong with this entire system. I mean, the fact that they actually applied for it, it's a little bit of an embarrassment, I think, to them and to the, uh, to the NBA as well. Uh, but, you know, hats off that uh, they just said, you know what, this isn't smart. When they found out that the funds had, uh, had run dry, they gave back the, their, uh, their loan. And we have a chant here in Boston that's been going on for decades, beat L.A., beat L.A. And I'm going to change it now. I'm going to cut them a little slack and say, yay, L.A., yay, L.A. <laughs> Very good. Yes, as you said, this is the, the Small Business Administration loans. Um, th- this fund ran out almost immediately. Uh, and, you know, hard to argue, in my opinion, that the Los Angeles Lakers, which are a, you know, $4 billion 
entity, if you believe valuations, obviously their owners have access to a lot of cash, liquidity, loans. Uh, this is not the purpose of this uh, of this money. Uh, so yes, kudos for them for 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 giving it back. Uh, I also agree that there's probably a, a problem with the system when the Lakers are qualified. Uh, for this money, uh, when when a lot of other smaller businesses, ones who are much more in need, are not getting it. Yeah, Mike and Evan, I agree with you ten thousand percent. At least give a salute to the Lakers for saying, "Hey, this uh, we we need to rethink this here. Take the money back and give it to uh, a chance for a small business." who really needs the money to try to stay afloat. So kudos to them. I do think that there are some businesses in the sports world that probably actually need this this money. I know there are a number of, you know, smaller sport, uh, Olympic sport organizations. You know, we're going to talk with Angela Ruggiero in a second about, you know, the Olympic movement as well. You know, there are actually, you know, foundations in there that, that are giving money to athletes, helping them train, et cetera. You know, there are organizations in the sports world that that, that have applied for, I know, and, and, and probably need this money to, to kind of stay afloat. Uh, and the Lakers, as we've said, just not one of them. Today, we're speaking with Angela Ruggiero, gold medalist, four-time U.S. Ice Hockey Olympian and current CEO and co-founder of the Sports Innovation Lab. Angela, thank you so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Angela, I'm very excited to have this conversation. You are possibly the foremost expert in innovation, new technology, and fan innovation in sports. And, you know, we're at a point right now where everyone, every team, every league is now finding themselves having to lean on that. They don't have games the way that they typically draw in their fans and keep them engaged. I'm curious, as you look out over the past six weeks, what are the things that stick out to you? What do you see teams doing, leagues doing, that you think, oh, that that's good, that's smart, we need to see more of that? Yeah, it's um, it's been, you know, trying for the industry, um, obviously over the past few years and um or a few, few, few months, that is. Um, and we've been advocating for years. Obviously, all our company does is focus on innovation and saying, you, know, you got to invest for the future. you got to, uh, you know, sow your seeds now to really help these, these fans. Um, and the COVID crisis, uh, you know, the pandemic here has really um, accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. Um, you think about uh, infrastructure within venues, uh, Previously, I'd say delight, surprise and delight your fans, give them the ability to text their friends and send social videos. And um, and then, you know, we said, well, sports betting will make that quicker. Um, and now it's you have to have some of these, um, uh, you know, investments to keep your fans safe. Um, so it's, it's almost a complete dynamic shift in the business of sports. Um, and uh, you're not seeing the, inv- you're not seeing that, today because obviously fans are in the stands we'll see that in a few months when you know fans start to to go back but we are seeing today with a lot of the teams is um uh if they've previously invested in digital activations or ways to keep fans entertained at home we call that immersive media um some of the ways that they're they're utilizing their esports platforms perhaps Mm -hmm. or uh digital and social i mean all of those platforms are are really on full throttle because all of us, I'm sure, calling for right now are on our devices and trying to stay engaged uh, through those different platforms. If we gave you free reign of, of a franchise, let's just say, because you're up in Boston, we, we told you, you you're now in charge of the Boston Bruins. What are the first you know, two or three things that you're doing to kind of get, maybe reset the, the fan engagement and the technology piece? 
Yeah, I would, uh, you know, on the one hand, make sure you have um, everything set up today, to, again, to entertain your fans at home. Um, we've talked a lot about how athletes are, um, you know, influencers and giving them the tools to entertain their fans that, you know, it's shoulder content. It's things that aren't necessarily have anything to do with the game. And you see a lot of companies repurposing prior games or getting their, their athletes, you know, workouts from home up. So any content you currently have, any assets, including your athletes, that um, you can give them the tools and enable them to, like, continue to create content, new content, um, talk over content, um, you know, that's, that's what we need today. Um, and then on the back end, I would say um, I would take TD Garden and I would, you know, again, everyone's, this is a time where you invest when everyone's pulling back and slashing cuts. If you have, if you have that kind of capital to work with, you're going to have to invest in the infrastructure to know that, you know, we're, we're telling our fans we're ready to bring you back in. It's safe. We're ready to you to come into the, you know, into TD Garden. Here are the different um, overlays that we've, you know, created that will actually make you feel special, uh, make you mm-hmm. feel safe, secure, not just, you know, give you that Instagrammable moment, you know, the things that prior, you know, were almost nice to have. Now it's the, the must-haves in the venue. So what can we do to entertain fans at home today? And what are the kinds of investments we can uh, we need to make today um, in the venue so that fans will will trust us and come back when we're ready? Go back to TD Garden, uh, which I've been just yeah. brought up. Let's just say the they uh, it's one of the regional sites that they use to uh, pick up the National Hockey League. Are they going to have to just make the bench along the whole uh, length of of the ice so players sit six feet apart and take out some of the seats and take out some of the glass? Yeah, I think there's a, there's you know in my head there's three scenarios. Um, the first is no fans. We get to a point where Correct. fans don't feel like they can even enter the venue. They they're touching too many surfaces. They're interacting with too many people, and yet the Bruins say we're going to go ahead regardless. What are the different overlays we can create? Uh, fan engagement tools that if you're going to stay at home, you're still going to tune in. We're still going to get that broadcast sponsorship revenue, et cetera. So what are the ways you can enhance your experience at home? Your point, the physical distancing, um, yes, there, there, that's the new scenario B, where we figure out ways um, to invest in, uh, you know, security so that you don't have to stand close to others or touchless or cashless um, solutions. Um, what are the ways that you could have a mobile alert on your phone to keep, you know, a safe distance from crowded areas in the venue. So um, digital signage, mobile messaging, things that will really make you feel safe. That requires, obviously, you have that uh, connectivity and and infrastructure set up in TD Garden today so that you can tell those fans, like, don't go to this area. The bathroom lines are full. You know, you're you're equidistant, you know, six feet apart. Um, That's plan B. And then plan C, I would say, is we're ready Everyone is, you know, full tilt. We're in the building. Um, you, maybe we have a vaccine at that point. But those now you've got that digital, that, that physical infrastructure uh, laid out. You can do so many more things, and fans are going to be betting and all the things we've talked about at Sports Innovation Lab for years. There's really going to be a ton of um, engagement, uh, which I think, again, I'm an optimist. This is a hard time. This is when you really uh, you figure out what you need to do to survive. Um, but also flourish in the future. And, and so I think there's a great opportunity for our industry. Angela, I want to pick up where, you know, talking about this this idea of privacy, because uh, you're right, so many 
sports teams, arenas, they, they've always said they, they want to know who's in the building. It's driving the way they think about, you know, ticketing in the future. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that in some way, you know, a lot of the countries maybe in Asia that are back to having sports right now are countries where there is probably a lot more, maybe a little less privacy and a lot more that, 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 that governments or even, you know, venues are able to do to kind of t- keep track of who's there and not, how do you, if you're a, a team, if you're a league, how do you maybe convince, because, you know, certainly Americans are, are wary of that. How do you convince people that, you know, maybe giving up a little bit of their privacy might actually be, you know, healthy and in, 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 in for their own good? Yeah, it's going to be a, a great, I think, philosophical debate. Um, again, exacerbated because of COVID and, you know, the the idea that you would willingly give up your information before was, well, what do I get in return? Right. What are those um, those those, uh, you know, individualized products and, you know, how are you going to take care of me? And, and now I think this is a public this is in the public discourse. Do we want to know where people are more generally? Again, everyone's trying to track, um, you know, trace contacts and, and, and figure out, you know, where where this uh, uh, virus is. And, and I don't think it's going to be any different when you move into a private building. I think, again, I don't want to go into a, a 20,000 person arena unless I know, you know, if I haven't had it before, no one's there. There's no vaccine pretend at the moment. And um, so I think this, this whole discourse of privacy and, and willingly giving up your information, again, something that we at Sports Innovation Lab have heard for years, all the venues, all the teams saying, just tell me who's in my building. We will be able to personalize their experience mm-hmm. are now saying, I need to know in my building who's in my building so that I can, you know, understand the physical and cyber security solutions and activate those and, and again, allow my, my fans and my athletes and my staff to feel that, you know, we're on top of this and we can actually, um, you know, safety first, more than fan engagement, more than anything else that people feel safe and secure. And that's the number one issue right now is, is that safety aspect. They've been uh, flowering you with the four-time uh, Olympian, but you're also <laughs> a member of the Harvard NCAA National Championship hockey team. So I just want to get that out there Thanks so for that's the not out. forgotten. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of sports are talking about getting up and going, <clears throat> starting right away, uh, or not right away, but very soon. One of them is golf. They're going to have an exhibition with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods, but they're also going to resume the, to- the tour in mid-June. Major League Baseball is toying with the idea of playing in Florida or Arizona. The NFL says they are going forward with their schedule as planned as of now. Mm-hmm. Question mark still for the NBA and the NHL. Which of those five sports has the best chance of actually putting a product on the field or on the course and succeeding? Yeah, for me, I think that's easy. I think it's golf. Um, you can, you know, so to speak, distance your athletes. You don't have that same. Um, I, I sit on the board of World Rugby, and those guys, those women are touching. They're they're running into each other. A whole host of other concerns in terms of protecting the athletes. So you start with the athletes. Again, if it's just Peyton and Tom and they're, you know, they know they're both clean and they don't have, you know, boom, you've got uh, uh, your athletes are protected. Your fans, you talked earlier about uh, Miami, you know, spacing six feet apart. You can do that more easily, I think, on a, on a uh, you know, spectators within, within golf. And they've already done a ton of investments um, uh, bringing you coverage of the game at home. Uh, you can go online now and obviously watch every shot. 
in a lot of cases. They've been experimenting with uh, bringing you that, that digital experience. So I think golf is in a really good position. Any sport that naturally has less athletes um, and doesn't have the physical limitations of a venue. I mean, again, that venue when air is circulating and you're pushing against people to get in the door, you know, how do we make it more frictionless, uh, touchless, so you're not touching, you know, your, your credit card even, you're using your phone. Everything is connected to mobile at the end of the day. And so who's made those mobile investments? Which sports don't have that limitation? So I, call, I say golf. In Britain, they're going to bring boxers into a TV studio with just the boxers and the promoters, and of course the cameraman, and yep. and stage fights as long as the government signs off on that. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, we're already seeing, I mean, look at what WWE did right away to get, mm-hmm. hey, we're just going to have our athletes in, and yeah, you definitely don't have the crazy fans in the background in the same atmosphere, but people are watching. They're able to fulfill their contracts on the on the broadcast side. Um, we worked with a group called Karate Combat. They've made some investments. A lot of these smaller sports, again, karate, boxing, WWE, where you can limit the amount of athletes, think one-on-one or two-on-two versus team sports, I think have a huge um, advantage. So when you talk about the NBA or the NHL or um, baseball even, um, I mean, baseball might have, again, uh, an advantage there. You're open seating arenas. You have um, you have less athletes in contact, but certainly the studio, right? UFC is tons of investments in this right now. They're um, talking to Lord Epstein, um, who we work with closely. I mean, he's he's really thinking about how do we innovate and make sure UFC again. Maybe it's two boxers, but you can do a lot of really interesting overlays in the background. And every sports is thinking about that. Again, worst case scenario that fans can't come back in the foreseeable future. How are we going to make that experience actually entertaining at home without the fans in the background, which as an athlete, I know I, I love, I, I thrive off of that. But if the trade-off is I can't play my sport um, and I'm going to play in an empty arena, how do you make that come to life? Um, so we're, we're coming up with, uh, we're doing hackathons. We're trying to crowdsource ideas. Obviously, as a market research company, we're looking at everything and every organization is too to, to figure out. Um, if you actually have to watch from home, like what is the best experience um, given the, the state of affairs? Angela, I want to make sure we ask you about the Olympics. Not only were you a four-time Olympian yourself, you did some work. You were on the IOC. Uh, you were an IOC member for a while. Uh, my takeaway from what happened over the past month in terms of the Olympic postponement is that it was a it was a, a decision that was forced by athletes themselves. Whether it's you know U.S. swimmers or U.S. track athletes up in Canada, Haley Wickenhazer, someone I know that you had a lot of on-ice battles with, and I know you know personally as well, it certainly felt as though you know the push to get the Olympics postponed in the in the speed at which it did was driven by the athletes themselves. Am I thinking about the, that the right way? Is that is that kind of one of your takeaways from from how quickly the IOC got from this is going to happen as scheduled to okay, we're going to push it a year? Yeah. Uh, I think public pressure and, and then you have the athletes vocalizing their own um, trepidation of, of attending and competing and not knowing. And then looking around at the landscape and saying, look, all these other leagues and, and sports are canceling. Um, why are we treading water and not making, you know, decisive uh, decision? You know, you, you look at what that's costing. You look on the IOC and Tokyo 2020 side, I think the estimate is over $3 billion now. Um, so there's, Obviously, financial implications, I'm sure they were, you know, trying to weigh at the time. But 
when safety was a concern and when the athletes um, spoke up, which I love, I was the chair of the Athletes Commission at the ISC. I sat on the executive board. And the second you have that ground swelling of, um, of um, you know, of athletes saying we, we need to ensure our own safety, let alone the, the, the sponsors and the, the fans and everyone else attending in a it, and, and the, the biggest difference here, I think, I'll just mention is we talked about the NBA and golf and other, um, you know, domestic leagues. When you're talking about an international event where you have people coming from all over the world, and as you know, COVID is at different levels and, and all over the world, you, you add this additional element um, of uncertainty. And, and so you're right. The athletes spoke up, which I'm glad to see um, probably exacerbated the decision-making and it, it made it quicker Um and it, and I think at the end they came up uh, with the right decision to to postpone till next summer. And given all that you know about you know the way athletes train for the Olympics, as you said, you know they're they're coming from totally different parts of the world where where the virus is having different effects. What do you think about the viability of 2021 next summer? I mean, we're already kind of hearing rumblings from from people maybe voicing some concerns that that maybe even that isn't soon enough for an event of this magnitude. Yeah, I'm, I'm nervous, to be honest. I think, um, you know, again, the optimist in me feels that it will go on. Um, hopefully there's a, uh, a vaccine by then where all of these return to play protocols are in place for the athletes to feel safe, the, the fans, all this, this uh, infrastructure we just talked about, they're in the venues and, and, you know, we've studied this for a year plus, you know, year and a half uh, by that point. And we'll have, again, these protocols ex- especially if leagues are already, you know, returning to action this summer and the fall. Um, so there'll be some precedent to, to learn from. Um, but again, a global event of that magnitude and size, um, I think we should all be cautious. Um, but um, again, I'm optimistic to think that they'll be able to, to pull it off. And, you know, if, if Tokyo's already said it doesn't happen next summer, they pull the plug, it will have to cancel it. That'll be the first time since um, uh, World War II. So we're, you know, I'm I'm hopeful, um, but you know, again, everyone has to feel safe and 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 secure at the end of the day. Andrew, what about the athletes themselves? Uh, you were lucky; you, you got to play in four different Olympics. But for some, particularly gymnasts, uh, their window for to compete in the Olympics is is much shorter uh, than than than, for instance, like a hockey player would be. They yeah. they. They, they mature, they gain some weight, and then they're not, they're not able to do some of the things. So is it going to cost some of the athletes uh, the, 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 the peak of their athletic lives? They will not be able to compete next year or qualify for the Olympic team? Yeah, at the end of the day, um, some athletes will miss their window. <clears throat> um, the IOC is insured in some sports. I think it's sport to sport at this point that if you made the roster for 2020, you'll, you're locked in for 2021. But to your point of... Maybe you're a little bit bigger, a little bit older, a little bit slower, again, depending on what sport. Um, some athletes were planning on, you know, getting pregnant or going back to school or they had mm-hmm. other plans moving, mm-hmm. right? And they had all this set up in place and, uh, and now they have to delay their years. Um, uh, you know, we, I had talked to Paul Gasol a, a couple weeks ago. We had him on uh, one of our AMA series and he said, hey, I'm going to, play next year i'm going to extend my career actually because i want to be in shape to play for spain in these olympics and so there's in some cases it's extending careers which is a good thing and others uh, it's a bad thing um and i and i have to say one of the hardest things is how to, a lot of these athletes don't aren't making millions of dollars they have to figure out how to sustain themselves over the next year um and not every sponsor is stepping up to the plate 
uh, to guarantee that income or, or the National Olympic Committees to guarantee, you know, funding. So it's hurting everyone at the end of the day, but I think we all are, are making sacrifices to make sure that when it happens, it's, you know, the best in the world. Well, I'm bigger, older, and slower, and I do mean bigger, but that's a whole new story altogether. <laughs> I would like to I ask. I hear you. <laughs> I, just, I actually just had a baby like uh, two months ago. So oh, I'm, congratulations. I'm like, Thank you. I got to get back into hockey shape, uh, but, I, but I can't get on the rink, so I'm stuck you know, in my basement on the elliptical and you know, trying to do what I can, uh, that it's not, nothing like it used to be. <laughs> You gotta get one of those ice treadmills in the basement. <laughs> yeah, totally. Angela, you're a, a, on the board of a new professional women's indoor volleyball league. I want to hear your thoughts on you know how innovation kind of pertains to smaller sports. I mean, I can see an argument for if if people have less disposable income that they may kind of concentrate their dollars on the biggest sports. And I can also yep. see an argument that, that maybe this, you know, this lockdown is, is kind of resetting everybody's fan affinity and, and it gives an opportunity more to, to, to smaller leagues and, and, and more innovative, you know, more nimble groups than maybe the NFL yep. is. Uh, which of those two scenarios do you think is kind of more likely w- what we're entering right now? Yeah. So if you're, um, if you're a well-funded um, sports league, and willing to make investments at a time when everyone's making cuts, you're in a position to win. You know, we talk about the NBA all the time because um, you have the budget. And are you are you doubling down? Is there a lot of um, partnership decisions? Again, why we started the Power Play Index is you need to move quickly and efficiently and invest today to have that advantage tomorrow. But on the other hand, your point of nimbleness, startups, New leagues like Athletes Unlimited, um, really proud. We worked with them this summer to help to conceptualize what a what a um, you know a new league would look like, focusing on women. So they're starting with softball, moving into volleyball, and we'll move into another sport next um, next year. Kevin Durant, myself, Abby Wambach, others are, are athletes that are supporting it. Um, you know, those new entities have the nimbleness. A big uh, part of what Athletes Unlimited is trying to do is say you're going to focus on individual athletes versus teams. So there's not even a team. You trade, team, you trade athletes week to week. Well, that's different. That's new. Um, that's nimbleness. Um, and, and maybe you don't focus on ticket sales. You're just focusing on what that experience is at home. So I like I liken new leagues like that to startups. They can hmm. pivot. They can change. They, they don't have these massive contracts in place like the big leagues that are trying to just figure out the – you know, the, the legalities of what's happening today, they're already moving. They're already changing. And, and so I love working with these earlier stage companies because you can, and properties that are really saying, what's the best out there? What is the fluid fan doing? The fluid fan is following athletes and focus on athletes. If the fluid plan wants to look at everything on their mobile device or at home and not even attend a game, like how do we do that better than what the big properties are doing today? So, I think both, but you need a really decisive leader at the top. I think, um, you know, some of the leagues have proven that they can do that already. Um, and certainly at the startups, I think you're going to see a lot of new sports emerge, drone racing league, others that are like, hey, this is great. This is, <laughs> this is putting ourselves in a position to take some market share away from the bigger players out there. Interesting. And we'll let you out on this question. 
earlier this year, NHL All-Star Game, they did a good job, I thought, of, of incorporating a lot of women's hockey players as well, the three-on-three U.S. versus Canada, and also you know more participation from women in the skills competition. If they had done that when you were still playing, what's your uh, what's your activity? Are you a fastest skater? Are you a hardest shot? Are you shooting from the concourse? What would you have liked to participate oh, in? Oh, I would definitely be hardest shot. <laughs> I'm really upset. Because I, I had a bomb. I was a, you know, I played defense, so I had that slapper. And I never, um, we never really recorded it. So I'm, I'm and, oh. you, you know, older, slower, uh, not as, not as fit, fitter, <laughs> whatever you want to say. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what my, my max speed is on my slap shot, um, but I look at, like, Char and some of these bigger guys, and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have recorded that. Um, oh. Fastest skater, absolutely not. Um, I was not – I was pretty good. I was powerful. Um, but, yeah, hardest shot probably would be my bread and butter. Or maybe accuracy. I was a pretty good passer. Angela Zero, gold medalist, four-time U.S. ice hockey Olympian, current CEO and co-founder of the Sports Innovation Lab, mommy to a new baby. By the way, boy or girl? Boy. Yay. Well, All right. Nice. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to be a hockey player. I gotta, for, if I'm, we're stuck at home in the next winter, I'm, I'm you know, going to get him on, get on some skates pretty soon. He's got the pedigree. <laughs> Angela, thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. I am really impressed with Angela's optimism about sports being played. I I have to admit, I am not as optimistic, especially when it comes to team sports being played later this year. But she believes it's going to happen, and maybe without fans, but she believes it is still going to happen. And I have my fingers crossed that uh, she's right, and I hope I am dead wrong. Well, my takeaway from the conversation is the Olympians who now have to wait another year. And as she made a good point that some of the women might want to get pregnant, uh, might want to go back to school, and also for sponsorship opportunities. uh, You know, this is your Olympics. You get once every four years to cash in, and the window is is very, very short. You know, you're a professional player. You get year after year after year. So I think that's a big concern for the athletes now who have to wait till next year, if it even happens in 2021. For sure. Yeah. I, I thought the stuff that she said about specifically about in venues, really interesting. I, I know I've fall victim to this. I think we often, you know, when we think about the innovation that teams have to be doing right now, we think about it from a digital standpoint, how to reach their fans at home. Uh, but Angela's right. There's also this kind of tremendous opportunity right now to rethink what it looks like when games come back, you know, things that you can be doing in an empty rink that you might not be able to do when there's a basketball or a hockey game every other night or every night. Uh, so hopefully, you know, the teams are listening to her. I know she's working with a lot of them. Uh, but yes, thinking about innovation, not just in terms of, you know, reaching fans in their homes while they're on lockdown, but also taking advantage of kind of the dark time you have in your physical building to be rethinking about what happens when fans come back, what we may need to offer them, privacy concerns and security concerns and health concerns, you know, all those things that are forward thinking and, and not just about what's happening in the moment right now my goal is to be the number one pick that's something i've been dreaming of since kids it feels better to be number one than number five i wear the number because of mike we have a chance to go for three in a row good numbers at a good time when i first started wearing that number i was just happy and proud bloomberg business of sports the number of the week time now for the number of the week everybody at home please play along i'm gonna give you two <laughs> numbers and you've got to give me the story involved with this. $30 million, $0. What's the connection between that? 
Uh, the amount of money gambled in Las Vegas on professional sports in February versus April. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Mike? Zero dollars is the amount of money that Michael Barr pays to watch Hazel every single day on his TV. <laughs> No, I'd pay $30 million. See, that's the thing. Just to see Shirley Booth. But now here, here are the connection to the numbers. Okay. The NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, has reduced mm-hmm. his salary from $30 million a year when you combine salaries and bonuses to zero. This is voluntary. And other NFL employees will be taking pay cuts or furloughs due to the coronavirus pandemic. Now, it will not affect employees earning a base salary of less than $100,000, they will not be affected by the reductions. So the NFL is trying to do its part uh, to keep afloat during uh, this pandemic. How's that for a haircut? $30 million? Yeah. <laughs> as much as 48 or 49 a few years ago, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. Yeah, there was a year in there where there was like an extra bonus that he got that was that yeah. was huge. I do. I'm glad you brought this up, Michael, because real quick, you know, as we think about whether the NFL season is going to be disrupted or not, this feels like a maybe a pretty big admission by the league that, you know, there's a chance that, you know, the the, the NFL season in, in 2020 is not going to look the way we expected. Because I think if they were very confident that everything was going to be fine come September, you know, they might not be taking uh, drastic steps like this. Uh, I think the number of games played is going to look like 1972 if we have won 12 games because it's going to be hard. Uh, And definitely we're not going to have any preseason, but we'll see. You have been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch at Lynchy WCVB. And I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business world. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs>